Hi, Sherry. Welcome to the Lift Oneself podcast. Hello, Nat Nat. Let's take a breath together. Okay. Take a deep breath in and slowly release. Let's take one more deep breath in and slowly release. How's your heart doing? You know, today I'm I'm feeling a lot of gratitude. I it's just been a great start to my day. I'll say that. Um, I had a great sleep, and um, when I have a great sleep, I get up early. I, you know, I did a nice meditation. I went for a walk, got some fresh air, and that always puts me in a great place to start my day. Sounds like a wonderful start, yeah. and a great way to uh, amplify and energize your energy to be able to show up for whatever. <laughs> life will uh, give us experiences. What can you thank COVID for? Mm. COVID, uh, yeah, so many things. Uh, COVID got us home. And um, so with my husband and my daughter, my daughter was in sixth, finished up sixth grade at that time. And for her, she loved it. She loved being home. Um, she was I think she always felt that school was a bit overwhelming. And so for her, it was this reprieve. She was so happy. And we just really took advantage of this time together. And I will say at the beginning, um, Dr. Shafali Jabari, she was uh, leading a meditation every day. And I did that with her every day. And that really got me into the practice of meditating regularly. Um, the other big, big thing was my mom, um, I live in Southern California. My family's all in Canada. And my mom, who uh, was up in Northern Ontario, uh, was diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer. And, uh, you know, when I talk to everyone, they're like, you need to get there. If it wasn't for COVID, I don't know if I would have been able to go. My daughter, you know, my daughter would have been in school. My husband would have been at work. I would have to pick her up. There'd be a lot of obligations. But because they were both working from home, I was able to go and spend three months with my mom. And it was just um, a profoundly difficult and magical time um, to be with her, um, you know, during her last few months here. So that, I'm just forever grateful for that. Thanks for sharing that intimate moment. Um, it's uh, death can be very appalling for people to talk about. It can be very apprehensive. It, it brings a lot of density in some, yet it's something that is embedded in life. Um, and it's something that we need to, I believe, have more dialogue about so that we're better prepared for it and we can engage with it and not miss out on our opportunities Because like you just said, you were able to have some very deep, profound memories in those three months and to experience what a transition looks like and how that develops and what you have to experience. And 
again, um, I know a lot of people might think negatively of the pandemic, yet there were a lot of great opportunities that have come out of this experience that we're still going through and we're still being ushered through. You are a teacher by trade. Is that correct? Yes. 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 Um, Yeah. Teaching English as a second language to adult learners. And one of your passions is to bring awareness about trauma in the classroom. Can you give some insight of what created that curiosity and what that looks like in a classroom? Yeah, sure. So I've always, my first teaching job was in Canada and I taught new immigrants. So I had a class of like 25 students really from around the world. I loved it. Um, And at that time there was no talk of like trauma. We weren't, there was no kind of like, it wasn't part of how I viewed um, my students, even though so many of them had come from war-torn countries, really difficult backgrounds. My focus then was really on having a lot of fun and interaction and lightheartedness and movement in the classroom. And so I created a game called the Language of Love, um, where you know students got to talk about dating and relationships. And it was always about cooperation, coming together, using the language. Um, over the years, I've taught a lot of uh, different populations. In 2015, I co-founded a nonprofit here in Southern California and um, working with basically the, the mission of the nonprofit was to promote community building in order to support refugees. And I started an English class, started with four women from Afghanistan and um, we had volunteers go to their home, pick them up. We had volunteers help with childcare. And these women came to the class and you know, they were once, once they got to know me and once they trusted me, they really opened up and, um, you know, they would tell me things like they would cry every day until they came to English class. They all, and then the class grew and more and more women came, all of them Afghan, actually three from Syria, and they all had health issues. Um, and I'll say like pretty much all of them had gut issues. Uh, and also like, you know, headaches, back pain, all these things. And the more I got to know them, I mean, I mean, I just have such a deep uh, appreciation and love for them because they would share and they'd open their heart and they would share their stories. Um, But they were also so open and they are so open to laughing and like being in the moment. But for them to, you know, the mornings would be like, like all of us, you know, you know, you've got to get yourself ready for some of them, four or five, six kids out the door. And then they would come to English class. And it would be really hard for them to like walk through the door, sit down because we only had two hour classes. So I'd be like, okay, you know, we've only got two hours. We need to get down to business. Like let's learn English. That's why we're here. And soon I realized like, yeah, that's just not going to work. They really need some way to transition um, from what was going on in their lives and their head and their heart that morning news they heard about from back home. Um, what was going on with their kids here? Like, you know, housing issues, all these things, right? Everything from the trauma in the past and the resettling 
that they were going through um, living in this new country. Uh, so I just knew that we needed to do more. Um, so I, I brought a, a psychiatrist into the classroom and um, we actually did, it's called the Connor Davidson Resiliency Scale uh, of self-survey at the beginning. And she would come once a month and was all about her sharing strategies and how to cope with stress, um, how to look at anger. Um, and, and they shared, you know, stories with her as well. And a lot of it was, re- it was extremely emotional. But I, I, I knew that I had her there to kind of provide that safe space and to bring it, bring them back um, from those painful parts. Sorry, I have to reflect. Um, I'm a little spaced out today. I apologize. That is okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would have the women light up? What would have the women open up and start trusting within themselves? Yeah. Um, like in your interactions, you said that once they got to know you, yeah. then it felt safe for them to start opening up about what was going on internally for them. Mm-hmm. Were there m- some methods that you used or was there tools that you provided to allow that safe space where they felt um, comfortable to be honest and to open up? Yeah. So the first thing we always started in a circle, we started in a circle um, and, you know, that circle grew like at times it was up to like 28 students uh, where we would share. And so they learned a lot from each other. Uh, We set class guidelines. uh, So where we created this together, where they came up with, you know, like ideas like um, obviously, you know, kind of what is said here, is left here because they're all, a lot of them are very connected mm-hmm. through family and friends um, that we're here to support each other where we're at. Some of these women never went to school. Some of them had second grade education. Others were, you know, college educated. So huge difference in their educational background, their socioeconomic background, their life experiences. So really getting them even to like really respect one another. Um, a few things we did, like with learning a language, it's very difficult, um, a lot of repetition. So we would often just do things like, you know, introductions in the morning. My name is, and then, you know, I am, and whatever, a mother, a sister. And then that led to um, words of empowerment. So we would each talk about what our strength is. We'd go around. So, you know, you know, not, not you might say like, I am brave. And so that I would read, oh, Nat Nat is brave. I am. And they would get that reinforcement from each other hearing it. And they would really get excited for each other. And they would be like, yeah, you're beautiful. Or you're like, you know, so strong. Or you're so intelligent. Or you're so funny. So them seeing their own strengths and it being reflected back on their peers was really powerful. Um, again, like some of these women, you know, they were getting their driver's license, they were becoming citizens, they were getting into college, or others, the successes were maybe not as big, shall we say, but they were. So um, I had a jar 
And once a week, we had strips of paper, and the students would talk about something that they were proud of or an achievement during the week. So for the one woman, it was, I said hello to my child's teacher. And we, we got to celebrate that. That was huge for her, right? She was so shy. She was so self-conscious of the fact that she couldn't speak English. But she could say hi. She could acknowledge. She could have a connection with her child's teacher. So it was also, it was that. It was in the classroom building um, the community. And for them then to use what they're using, in the cl- like learning in the classroom in their lives. So, you know, going to the doctor. Um, and for like a lot of them, it was like, you know, getting their driver's license was big. And they were the best teachers in that. Like the one woman would always be like, you know, when I came here, I didn't know any English. I never thought I'd drive. And look, I'm doing it. You can do it. You know, I watch cartoons. I did this. I did that. And she would really uh, get them pumped up and excited that, okay, it's possible. Yeah. When the the density of the trauma, because like you said, they were coming from war-torn countries, um, Afghanistan, which is going through things presently as we speak, and then Syria, there's so many people that have been displaced from that. What would happen when those stories were shared in the classroom? Or were they shared in the classroom? They, yeah, yeah, they were shared. Um, and not only when the, the therapist was there, but also with me. Um, and at times, I, you know, I would just, I would give them that space. Um, there would be a lot of tears. And when one woman would share a loss of family back home, whether it was due to war or just, you know, they got sick, but they couldn't be there with them, all the women would cry with her. Um, you know, very compassionate, very empathetic. Um, and I, I couldn't not allow that to happen you know I I, you know I and I knew the and that's the thing is whether you're a teacher or you know you wherever you work uh, you need to know yourself and how much you can take on and then you need to know the people you're working with or that you're just with right so look there's one woman who I know um, if emotions open up that's she's gone um, down a really dark path um in the past, you know, she's she's on medication. It does seem like that that supports her when she would have changes in her medication. It would not be good. So I'm like, okay, with her, I'm not going to let that. Basically, we're going to bring her back in. Kind of honestly, like this is not the place for that because it's not going to it's not going to get her through that to a new place where then she can kind of show up and in our case, you know hopefully learn, like, you know, have the, have the space and capacity to be able to sit there and learn the language. So with her, I would just be like, you know, like, okay, let's, you know, like kind of focus on the moment, coming to the moment. How grateful are we that we're here together and we're learning English and with our friends. Um, so with her, I just knew that we wouldn't go there, but with the other women, we did go there. And, um, and there were some really Emotional, emotional classes, um, especially just uh, in September, we got together with no intention for an English class, but after uh, what happened in Afghanistan, you know, and the U.S. pulled out, families were, you know, basically the Taliban took over, families were trying to get out. It was an incredibly emotional time for these women. So we just came together to say, hey, we're here for you. Um, you know, they cried together, they shared 
we do, we did some breath work together. We meditated. We moved our bodies, um, but we just that was it. Um, not that was it, but we were like there was no other agenda. This is not an English class. We just need to come together. So also like I have that, we'll say, privilege and flexibility to do things like that. Not all teachers can do that, um, but all teachers get to really learn, like, uh, say, get to know their students in a way that when they need additional support, that they're there for them and that the class feels like a safe place. Do you think by providing that opening and for them to be able to release, it allowed them to understand English in a much quicker and faster way? A hundred percent. When we talk about something that's meaningful, we are engaged. So I talked about like the language of love, that game. People loved sharing about dating and relationships and stuff like that. When we talked about, in you know, like our own personal strengths, you could say like if you looked at a curriculum for ESL, they wouldn't be learning adjectives like that. They would be, you know, like my name is. Da, da. Um, but when it's you and you're owning it, I, I'm I'm beautiful, I'm compassionate. Definitely, you take on the language um, because you're so invested, and and you're owning it. Uh, so definitely, that that helps tremendously with the, the language learning. Mm-hmm. And at times we do use, sorry, uh, like they they use their first language in the class, and we translate um, when we know that you know when you're speaking from the heart, you need to speak in your first language. Yeah, and that's that's how you learn a language. You have to speak your own language to be able to relate to the other language, so it, it's relatable to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember this when I was taking Spanish, and this teacher, she would always say, she's like, mm, how do you say in English? Oh, never mind. It doesn't matter. And it's like, yeah, it does. Like, you understand it in Spanish, but I don't understand it in English, and I need to understand this. Yet, it can be challenging when we're used to speaking it only in a certain way and to translate that into a different language, because sometimes it doesn't match up properly. Yet, what I'm hearing in your classrooms is there's a lived experience that's allowed. It's not just this curriculum and get all the, the the questions aligned and have it look in this kind of format. It's actually, how are you able to use this language in your lived experience? And how are you able to move forth in communicating? And communication looks different in all kinds of different spectrums. Sometimes people need it to be very polished in a professional way. And other times people just need it to communicate to get some food or some resources. And I think that, as you said, when people are engaged in their own lived experience and they can relate with it, there's a much more invested interest to want to learn and to deal with the challenges. Because learning a language, whew. It's a lot of challenges that come up and you get very frustrated and it, it requires a type of grit and tenacity to keep engaged and keep going through those hurdles, through those, those grooves and bumps. What do you think would empower the classrooms in this, this era? Now that we have technology, now that we have better information about trauma-informed, how, you know, learning and 
you know, as you mentioned many times, moving the body, not just being passive and sitting down and intaking information. What would you see as a great flourishing classroom for students and teachers? Yeah, well, it, it's like for anyone who knows like Shafali Chapari, the conscious parent, it's about the parent. So here it's about the teacher. So it's a space where the teachers are taking care of themselves and they're getting support um, and they're giving support to their, their colleagues, their peers um, around self-care, around setting boundaries. And then in the classroom that they are providing, we'll say the tools to help students self-regulate, right? And, and, and that is anything from, you know, meditation, breath work, um, moving the body, like we talked about, uh, you know, different times. I remember when I taught in Toronto, I had the same students five hours a day. It's a long, long time in one class with one teacher. So after lunch, we would, we would move our bodies for sure. It was a mixed class. So it was more like, we'll say, you know, kinesthetic, it was exercise. When I'm with the women, it's dancing all out. Uh, you get to know, you know, what works for, for your population. Um, so definitely integrating these things. So like starting a class where you ground them in the present moment, you're bringing them to where they are because it's, because otherwise it's really impossible to concentrate um, and to focus on learning when there's so much going on in your head and your heart and your body um, because of what you've experienced, because of what you're going through now. So I, I, I really believe that this needs to be part of a curriculum, that it's not just an add-on or it's not just when, oh gosh, something really terrible happened. We need to do something about it. No, no, no. This is what we, we start doing it now. Uh, the, the idea of, of creating a safe space is so important in every classroom um, and really, you know, seeing the strengths in our students um, and, you know, kind of nourishing those. What would self-care look like for a teacher? Right. So self-care, well, that, that you are the you are the expert on on, on self-care. But for me, it's uh, really making sure that you let's say your cup is full, right? That you are setting some boundaries that you're able to take care of yourself. So that's you know physical. Are you moving? Are you getting out, getting some fresh air every day? Are you eating well? Are you doing whatever it is that brings you joy? Um, you know, and that could be some kind of sport. That could be some kind of a creative outlet. That could be gardening, whatever it is for that person. Um, me, you know, I love to play tennis or I love to dance. I like to move. I like to spend time with friends, with my family. Uh, really 
making sure you carve out that time. And also talking to other people, like especially, you know, whenever you're going through something, whether it's like you're grieving a parent or whatever it may be, it's great to talk to someone who's going through a similar thing. And it's not just to like, you know, complain, but it's to share and to learn from each other. So talk to other teachers or talk to someone. If you're in a, in a, an environment where you have some support, you know, go to them when you need it. Don't wait till it's, you know, you know, too late, shall we say. People are so proud and they, you know, hold it together. Um, which reminds me, and I just want to share this uh, with the Afghan women when this Dr. Marianne was coming to the class and she was doing teaching different strategies and, and, and talking to them. She also shared her own experiences and she shared her own vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. And for the women, they said it was really eye-opening for them because they said they always have to keep it together. You've got to keep it strong. You've got to be strong and keeping it together is being strong and that's good. And when they see this woman who you could say is successful, she's this beautiful, you know, educated, professional, together, whatever you want to say, woman, um, share like, gosh, you know, I've had a lot of struggles myself that I had overcome. This was new to them. Um, so sharing, you know, your, your vulnerabilities, sharing, in my case, because I'm working with adults, you know, I can share with what's going on in my heart too. Um, so for teachers just to, yeah, really take care of themselves and not to like, oh, like try to be so strong. And, and, and it's been a really challenging time the last couple of years, right? I, how many teachers are, you know, experiencing burnout, right? Like not just teaching, but teaching and all these new modalities and coping with (laughs) everything that, you know, this has, this time has brought us. So it's really doing kind of a keeping a, a personal check on yourself and maybe even having an accountability partner, whatever you want to call it, like a friend um, who's going to make sure that you're doing that. Because um, there's, you know, this thing like burnout, right? Where you just, burnouts could be from anything, right? For, um, but it's, it, you're just physically depleted. But, and there's working with students, you know, who have experienced trauma, it's like they call it a compassion fatigue, right? So again, it's like you know this intense, like physical, mental, and emotional like depletion, erosion of oneself. But it can also go as far as like what they call secondary or vicarious trauma, where you almost like embody what your, in this case, your student, whoever that you are with, you take on their trauma it actually alters your perception of reality mm-hmm. but there's also like the other side of it right so there's something called a like compassion satisfaction where you you know you gain this new appreciation um for for life and you see how you know others have overcome it and and along with that there's like something called vicarious resilience where you're like oh my gosh like you kind of get in I mean, I feel that way, like, wow, like these women are so incredible. Look what they've overcome. And, you know, kind of, I can deal with what I'm going through. You know, it's not to like diminish what you're going through, but it, it can be uh, very empowering. Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So there's different ways of, yeah, so you, you know, anyway, just the different ways to look at our relationship to those individuals and how we may or may not take it on. Yeah. I think um, when I heard you also say in there about the strength, I think it's that we have to redefine what weakness is. Because a lot of things that we think are weak are actually a strength. And mm. we don't feel safe or comfortable revealing those things. So we put on this armor to push through, thinking that that's uh, a sense of strength and courage and bravery, when actually it's a kind of self-sabotage. And what you think is protecting you is actually really harming you. And I, what I know to be true and what I've heard from many a people and what I have done in my own personal life, we tend to put other people on pedestals and think that their life has no imperfections. Their life has no challenges that they look so they make life look so easy. And I think by revealing our inner challenges or inner experiences, it helps to diminish these pedestals so that we can relate with ourselves a lot more better and not think that other people have it more put together, more successful, because in that part, it intimidates us from doing our own inner work because we think we can achieve where this other person is that we've created or constructed in our mind. And I appreciate those that are in um, situations, which I also do with myself, is to reveal some of my personal um, experiences and have um, a transparency so that the ego doesn't create a, a story in mind to make your own inner work look like it's too difficult and that it's not attainable and it's not achievable. And I think within our storytelling, that's where we'll gather our strength. And that's where we will be resilient to thrive together, to see that, you know what, each and every single human being has challenges. We, we put on a good mask at times. Um, we can look very elated, very excited and very enthusiastic. And that is true. Yet it doesn't mean that there's not challenges. It's end in both. It's not just one facet. It's not just one dimension. You can have great excitement. You can be very uh, joyful and still be in the face of adversity and still have challenges. Yet it takes work with your perception and to always go within yourself to see where your inner turmoils are, what emotions you might be blocking. Because what I know to be true is you need to accept all your emotions to be whole with the W. And most of us want to do a la carte of what emotions we're going to engage with. And the ones that get left behind, they build up. And eventually uh, something leaks out and we wonder, well, how did this happen? Or this wasn't becoming of me or whatnot. When it was just, you weren't able to listen to the emotion, listen to the information it was trying to tell you. Because some emotions are very uncomfortable to have to listen to, to have to feel. Yet, if we don't listen to it, we suppress or we repress. And that puts holes with an H in us. 
And then we go grasping outside of us to fill us when it's like, no, that's an inside job. You, you have to be there for yourself. And it takes accountability of people that we can co-regulate our systems, our nervous systems with, so that we can feel safe to feel our emotions, to speak about what we're feeling and what we're thinking and how we're experiencing things, to release the fear. Because we're in a society that doesn't talk about fear very well. We talk about not being in fear, don't have fear, be fearless. When it's like we have a nervous system that's built on fear. That's what keeps us alive. And we have a wonderful mind and a nervous system that keeps recording. So there's a lot of psychosomatic things that we intake that ramp up our system that we have to release and just acknowledge it. It doesn't mean to sit with it and make friends with it. It's just acknowledge it and allow it to be released so that it's not going to hijack your behavior and your biology, which can happen a lot. Um, and as an adult, uh, the most intimidating thing sometimes is just to say, I'm scared and not have to do anything about it. Just acknowledge it. Because, you know, navigating through the world, it, it's scary at times. And to be able to have a safe space just to say that, it, it relieves so much. And then you can have a better perspective on things and you can have a, a different clarity on things. Yet to have that safe space, it really helps when you have other people being able to witness the pain that you're going through help you to see the suffering that you may be creating within yourself by still holding on to certain narratives or, or past experiences um, and also not wanting to feel your emotions. So I thank you, Sherry, for what you're bringing into the classroom and what you're bringing into the world because it's it's greatly needed, especially for the women that are immigrating and breaking out of so much belief systems, ideologies, and finding themselves and, and reinventing themselves in a whole new world, in a whole new um, space. And you're providing a space where they can feel free and safe to reinvent themselves. So I thank you for that warrior work. Um, I'm sure you don't get acknowledged enough. And I want to cheer you on and amplify the significance and the impact that you are doing in the world. All it takes is one in a million. And I know there's more than one that you have impacted throughout your journey of teaching. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Nat Nat. Was, you had a, um, there was a lot in there that you said that was really important. Um, and it is true that we are, for the most part, I'd say most people, we just, we're raised to not, really feel our feelings um, we don't know how to work through them so we just push them back uh, and to be able to really to go there you need to trust that you're with a person who is there for you and you know um, judgment is a big part of society sadly um, and then with some cultures, there's, it's kind of added on like layers of what is expected and saving face. Um, and so it's really, really hard uh, to, to go to these raw places. But it's so 
vital. So we, you know, we just we get to train more people and bring more people in to help, right? Um, you know, you are one of these people now, now that you support so many people um, with their emotions and helping them uh, through co-regulation. And this is, you know, you know, we talked about self-care and sometimes that self-care is reaching out and, and talking to a professional because it's hard when we, when we do it on our own, it's really hard not to get into our head. Um, and so to really, to drop into your heart. Yeah. It, it's often, it's just, it's much easier when you're with someone who can help yeah. you get there. Yeah. I'm going to bring you into a reflective question. I'm going to ask you to take your awareness presently and go back to your 18-year-old self. And you can only tell your 18-year-old self three words. So as I said, it's a reflective question, so take your time. And just feel from right now to back then when you were 18, what were the three words that would assist you through your journey? I could reflect more, but what came to me just automatically was to believe in yourself. Nice. Believe in yourself. So I think I always was that person with self-doubt. How did I end up here? Like um, in a way that like almost like I, I don't deserve this, right? Oh, how did I get this opportunity? And if I just would just like, you know, well, there's a reason, right? So just like believe in yourself. And when you believe in yourself, then that's when, you know, the magic happens. Yeah. Yeah. Trust in yourself. I don't know whatever it is, but it's that. It's just, No, I be- believe in yourself. No. Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't switch it up. That's what came yeah. into listen to intuition. Yeah. I believe, yeah, in, believe yourself. in yourself. Yeah. Is there anything that you would like to leave the listeners? Just to, not just to, but really um, take time um, for yourself to connect with nature and meaning, just maybe getting outside and get some fresh air. Um, don't, you know, when you, when you see that you're being hard on yourself to kind of take a step back and just kind of look at that critic and, um, you know, be compassionate towards that critic. And um, as you always remind me, Nat, Nat, have some fun. <laughs> have fun, whatever that means for you. Get out and have some fun. Yeah. Where can the listeners find you? At this point, I have a website that's pretty dismal, but it um, the organized. So I co-founded this organization, Globally Connected. Um, I've kind of stepped away from that in a we'll say in official capacity, I have started uh, another initiative called Transformational Learning Communities. And it's and the website is that, Transformational Learning Communities. Um, kind of by short, I go by you know, TLC for ESL, uh, second language. I, you know, my goal is to support as many teachers as possible so they in turn can support their students. I do have a Facebook group um, that educators join. Um, Again, I focus on, you know, we'll say my peers, it's English as a second language, specifically for adults, but I think it's for any educator. And it's just a Facebook group, um, ESL with TLC. 
Thank you. And I'll, I'll make sure to put all that information in the show notes so that uh, the listeners can find you because you have a wealth of knowledge and experience to offer so many people around the world. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, for sharing your time and your resources. Uh, it's greatly appreciated. And like I said, again, I want to amplify my gratitude for the work that in service that you're providing out in the world. Uh, it, all it takes is one in a million. And I know you've touched more than one person throughout your journey, and it has trickled on the impact and it keeps on giving on. So you are the gift that keeps on giving on, Sherry. So thank you for being you. Thank you, Nana. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Remember to be kind with yourself. Will do. Thank you. Hey, you made it all the way to the end. Thank you for your time. It's greatly appreciated. If you found any value in this conversation, please share it out with a friend. Help us grow the dialogue. Let us create the safe spaces of healing. You can find more information at www.liftoneself.com. Until next time, be kind with yourself. <laughs>